Welcome to the Thinking Faith Podcast, a collection of talks and Q&A that address the big questions we're all asking about God, life and purpose. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Weisun, and it is my great pleasure and privilege to be uh, the moderator for the next 50 minutes or so uh, of Q&A. Question number one, why do some people have to suffer from illness, poverty, failure, separation, when none of it really is their fault at all? Yeah, thanks so much, um, Weisun, and, and thanks for having me and Jordan on here for this Q&A. It's a really important question uh, and a question that I think is on all of our hearts at some point, um, if not all the time, this question of the indiscriminate nature of suffering. Uh, it's something that is common to the human condition. It's just part of the lived reality. The, there are a few things that can be said. Um, the first thing to say is that the Bible is very, very clear uh, that the world is not as it should be and we are not as we should be. And so there is an intrinsic brokenness to the human condition and to the world that we experience. And, and that you know, explains in large part why there is so much suffering. Um, however, that doesn't explain all of it. Now, there are, there are two points I think to make on how we can actually make sense of the specific suffering that people seem to go through, uh, seemingly needless suffering. A lot of it, we don't actually think about this, but a lot of it is actually our fault. So it might not be the fault of the sufferer directly, but it is human caused. The vast majority of suffering, of human suffering, is human caused. And so we all bear collective responsibility through our collective brokenness. All poverty, for example, all famine, all discrimination, all oppression, all subjugation, even this pandemic and this virus is all human caused. We are the ones that have built economic, financial, political, and geographic systems through which this suffering is perpetuated. Around 10,000 children, very sadly, will die today um, because of a lack of food and water. There's plenty of food and water to go around. There's no shortage. It's, it's on us. We have built the systems um, that discriminate against people. And so a lot of the suffering we actually have to take collective responsibility for and understand that much of this suffering is caused by the intrinsic brokenness of humankind and our incapacity to tackle things like inequality um, and poverty and these sorts of human social ills, if you like. So that explains a lot of it. It's sad, but it's just reflective of human brokenness. There is, of course, always an aspect of suffering that is not human caused at all, either individually or collectively, and we just can't seem to make sense of it, whether it's genetic abnormalities or congenital birth defects or disease and illnesses born by you know, innocent people, children, um, probably in the most obvious example. And with that suffering, the Bible does tell us that the world is broken. That is what is going to happen. And the honest answer is that we just don't always know exactly why specific instances of suffering are there. Um, it's a bit like a spider in a garage. If I opened an empty garage and said, there's a spider in here, uh, you know, as I said in my talk, um, we might not see it, but it doesn't mean that those reasons are not there. And so what the Christian message says, what God calls us to is to trust him with that uncertainty, to trust him even in the midst of the suffering that we don't seem to understand. Um, he doesn't ask us to trust him blindly. He gives us a very strong and firm basis on which to trust him. And that, of course, is the cross of Jesus Christ. But there is always there are always going to be aspects of the world, the brokenness of the world that we just can't understand. Thankfully, though, that's not the end of the story. Through the gospel of Jesus, there is a message and a catalyst and a pathway, not just for comfort and strength in all of this, 
you know, inexplicable suffering, but redemption and restoration through it. Hope that's helpful. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's an essential framework for us to um, have as a starting point. And one of the interesting things that seems to happen in the New Testament, particularly in the preaching and teaching of Jesus's ministry, was that he said there was something about those in the midst of suffering and feeling the brokenness of this world that made them more receptive and open to the news of the kingdom of God coming into our world. Um, he actually says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom and blessed are the poor in spirit. So there's this weird paradox actually in the New Testament that um, physical suffering and struggle is not the only metric by which God looks at our lives and determines whether it's got value and meaning in it. Actually, right. we are profoundly and at an, our essence spiritual beings made by God and for God and we're embodied and our bodies matter and God fearfully and wonderfully made us. But our spiritual lives are of such importance for eternity that neglecting it because we've got all the comforts and well and, you know, <clears throat> the creature comforts and luxuries that we would pursue now, um, Jesus actually says that can sometimes be such a distraction and even a stumbling block that it, it, it stops people from entering the kingdom. So, right particularly in my context in, in Perth and Western Australia, I absolutely love this city and there's so much to thank God for. As Roman 1 says, it should show us the fingerprints of God on creation that we give him thanks. But Australian evangelist John Chapman used to say, Australians don't want to go to heaven because they're already there. So right. there, was, there was this sense in which, according to Jesus, suffering is a powerful message that this world is not as it should be and it should cause us to look for and long for the new creation that Jesus is bringing about um, through the gospel of the kingdom. Thank you very much. I, I like that very much, this idea that, that suffering does point us, you know, back to the cross and back to Jesus. Um, but this is related to another question that, that we got, which is that, and this is the question, how is God's glory amplified through suffering, right? So we know it points us back to, to Jesus, but on the flip side, there are some people who look at suffering and then say, well, this is just proof that there is no God because if there's a God then, and who is all loving and all powerful, he wouldn't even let us go through this. So doesn't suffering actually take away from uh, God's glory in that sense, yes. much less amplify it. Yes. Uh, no, it's a great question and thank you for uh, submitting it. And I think it's honest that we deal with this question because the reality of it is that most people that I talk to um, will raise this at one point or another in their, their struggle to believe in God being truly good and truly in control with all the mess that we um, see in our world. Um, but one of the things that I find at least comforting, is, as Max addressed in that last question, is the Bible, the Christian scriptures are very honest about the fact that this world is not as it should be, but also that this didn't catch God by surprise. Uh, that's one of the, the seeming right. paradoxes going on, that um, it's not as though God has plan B now through Jesus to fix suffering, 
But in some way, uh, God looked at this world and in his thinking it up and design for it and love for us, he, he knew that the net benefit of all that was going to happen would still uh, weigh for our good and his glory, even with the fall happening. And so it, it, it seems like the Bible never says that evil is now good or that suffering is now good, but rather that God can use evil for good ends, that we see in the scriptures God opposes evil. That's very clear. Um, but also that God will end evil and he does it um, throughout flanking it. Now, flanking is a rugby term, rugby union uh, term. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with, with that term. Um, but it means that in one sense, you outmaneuver something so that you get to the end point. And by the time you've got there, you've managed to reconfigure things in such a way that not only did that suffering not win or the evil didn't prevail, but also you somehow even, God even uses the suffering uh, for that good end. Um, and, and I think we see an example of that in the story of Joseph with his brothers where a real evil and injustice happens where right. Joseph is sold into slavery and he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and he's then um, forgotten by Pharaoh who he helps um, and you don't really see him complaining in the midst of his suffering, although he'd have grounds to. But eventually once he's put in a position of power, um, his brothers are, are terrified that he's going to use his power to get vengeance on them. Um, but he says this fascinating phrase in, in Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse um, 20. He says, you don't need to worry because what you intended for, for bad, you intended to harm me, God intended it for good and the saving of many lives. So in one sense, I don't know if when you're looking at your suffering in the moment and in the short term, I don't think we have much warrant from experience and from scripture to go in the very short term, you're going to be able to make sense of it. But I think one of the things I've learned in my life, and I'm, you know, I'm only 33, but as I look back on the last, you know, 15, 20 years of teenage and adult years and things like that, I now see things that were really difficult and hardships that I went through and if I could go back in time and change them, although I'd have that impulse to do so, I now see that they actually had a purpose. Um, they not only refined my character, um, but they also helped me um, cling to God in a way I might never have before. So, you know, that classic passage from Romans chapter um, 5, verse 3 to 5, you know, it says we glory in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance, pers you know, character, Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And the reason why hope is a good thing in the Christian worldview is because hope is not just wishful thinking. Uh, in Christianity, we have a sure hope that God will return and that we have an eternity to look forward to. So I think we always have to view suffering through the lens of eternity. Suffering in the, in the midst of just the life in the here, this life in the here and now, it will not make sense. But if there is an eternity in front of us in which we can be in right and joyful relationship with God and others and our world in the new creation, then the Romans 8 idea comes in um, that um, in some way uh, this will show God's glory and, we'll, and we will look back and go, that was good.
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with all of that. And um, yeah, totally affirm Jordan's point. I think that that is the the key takeaway. Um, the, the first couple of points Jordan just made, which is that God's glory is actually amplified through suffering because he conquers it. It's just that simple. And that's, it's right there when Jesus says, you are going to have tribulation in the world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Um, so it is a story of love, but it is a story of conquest through love. Uh, and so this is a God that conquers through the suffering. That's how yes. his glory is amplified. He, yes. he doesn't try and dodge it. He's not defeated by it. He, um, he deals with it head on and he conquers it. He conquers through the suffering. And yes. in and through that, now suffering actually provides a wonderful opportunity and channel through which the love of Jesus and the love of God gets to be poured out into the world through his followers. And so that's yeah. the other thing, only other thing I would add, that suffering, as terrible as it is, uh, it offers undoubtedly the greatest possible channel for the love of God to be poured out through his followers into the world. Uh, at no time and through no other human experience is the love of Jesus more needed and does the love of Jesus shine more brightly than when people are suffering and those exuding the love of Christ come alongside them. Um, so those are the only things yeah. I would add. Yeah, no, no, that... As you said that, Max, it made me think that was the verse I was searching for, Romans 8, 18. I consider our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Right. Um, So, yeah, there's this this sense in which we we have to make sense of our present suffering in light of the, the glory to come. Why is it that some people are born into suffering and unprivileged situations like poverty or war or disease? Uh, and others are not. And I guess, um, how do people who are born into these situations deal with it? Mm. That's a a really good question. Maybe I'll offer a few preliminary thoughts, Max, and then I'd love you to jump in. Um, One thing I think we need to do just in order to get a framework is to look at the fact that um, Paul says very clearly to a group of philosophers and thinkers in Athens that God determined the exact time and place where each of us should live so that we could reach out for him and find him for he's not far from each one of us. So that means that the circumstances in which you live, when and where, and also how you've been made, were done in such a way with an intentionality behind it that it is possible for you to reach out for, to God, for God and find him for he's not far from each one of us. So again, if the main reason that we were created is, it says in Colossians 1.15, we were created by him and for him. We were created by Jesus and for him. Then the first thing that we need to ask is, does any of our physical situations cut us off from the possibility of a relationship with God? And I'd say no. But the second thing that's also very important is that things like poverty and war and handicaps they're not as much of a defeater for people actually finding meaning and purpose in life um, as you would think. So they recently did a a huge study. Uh, Actually, I think it was quite a while ago, 2003 in in North America, a controlled study of people with Down syndrome. And they asked them about um, how they felt about life in general, were they happy, and also how they felt about their physical appearance. The, The... Um, outcome was staggering. 98% of people with Down syndrome expressed that they were happy and 96% of them said that they were happy with the way that they looked. 
Um, now, my brother is a disability and support worker. It gives his life great joy and meaning to be working with people in these situations. But I'll tell you what, if you went out to our general public and the general population and you asked them if they're happy in life and they were happy with the way they look, do you think that you would get 98% of people saying they're happy and 96% of people saying happy the way they look? Absolutely not. And so I reckon sometimes um, we, we fail to appreciate the fact that life with suffering can still have great meaning and it can still be of immense value to that person and to those around them. Matt. Yeah, that's so important, George, and I, I think that's absolutely spot on. The, the follow-on, I think, or the, the sequel to that answer is the only thing I would add, which is it's one thing for us to speculate and think about and even just contemplate why this underprivilege is there and why there is this why there are these struggles but just take as an example someone who has a flat tire right when you see someone on the side of the road with a flat tire certainly when i the couple of times i've had flat tires what is that person trying to do they're trying to fix the flat tire they're trying to put the spare tire on or they're waiting for roadside assistance they're trying to get on with their journey um, never do you see someone with a flat tire walking back down the road three miles, four miles, trying to find out why the tire is flat, being a detective, trying to work out if it was a nail or glass. No one cares. The point is the tire is flat. You've got to fix it and move on. So not to disrespect the questioner at all, because it's an important question, but understanding people who are in underprivileged situations or disadvantaged situations or suffering is one thing. But the Christian mandate is actually to go and alleviate that suffering. The, the Bible tells us there is going, there is brokenness in the world and there is intrinsic brokenness in people. Because of that, there are going to be situations of disadvantage and suffering. Our job as Christians is not to think about it and talk about it. It's to go out there and help those people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are always people that we can come alongside and help. That, you know, And mm. the Bible is clear again and again and again. We are called to loosen the chains of injustice, to lift yes. people up, to find the oppressed, to reach out. The, the love of God made real in and through his disciples is the salve for the underprivileged and the struggle. Mm. This is work yeah. that Jesus will ultimately finish and redeem and mop up in, into perfection. But if you're a follower of Jesus, mm. our first job is to go and alleviate suffering and underprivilege. Um, talking about it may be helpful to get a better grasp on the issue, but we need to be coming alongside people and helping them. Mm. Uh, try yeah, and I, yeah. to, start the, to start the work of renewal and redemption that Jesus will ultimately finish. Yes, I my one-liner uh, is I reckon one of the things that is most depressing is the people sitting around pontificating about all these people suffering who won't actually get their hands dirty and, and do what they can to help them. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, thanks, thanks so much for that. I think that also answers an, a different question that we got, which was what difference does Christianity make on, on mm. our outlook? on suffering yeah right so yeah pointing it back to god knowing that you know there's great meaning in suffering and also yeah it just i guess pushes us to help people yeah the, right. the responsibility aspect like the the world has blown up the last couple of years because of you know the canadian professor and psychologist jordan peterson and he, the, the essence of his message is that you find meaning in life through the adoption of a significant responsibility and primarily that responsibility that gives life a sense of meaning is relational, looking out for other people and doing something that can actually contribute to their well-being and their good, 
that's where you'll find actually significance and meaning in life. Now, I would say as an appendix that, you know, that he doesn't mention as clearly, if we're image bearers of God, we were made by a relational God for relationships. So it makes perfect sense on the Christian framework of life that we would invest our energy and find a sense of meaning in looking out for the well-being of others. Um, and, 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 hey, this is exactly what Jesus said when he was asked about the greatest commandments. What are the greatest commandments? Love God, primarily relational, secondarily love your neighbour as yourself. So I think, again, we do get a clue to not just the meaning of our lives but the meaning of all life through suffering. And my brother, who recently became a disability and support worker, 35, wasn't a Christian till his early 30s, you know, very difficult life with incredible um, health issues and even mental health issues as well. He's had his struggles. Um, and uh, one of my greatest fears when I lived over in the UK 10 years ago was wondering, will my brother be home when I get back? Because his mental health was that bad. And just recently watching him have become a disability and support worker, living with people with really significant health issues, he said, I felt like I found my calling in life. And there's been how many lives have been saved in this situation that now he has meaning and purpose and they have someone who loves them in, in this way. So it, it's um it's been a real lesson for me watching on. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. That was a bonus, uh, that was a bonus <laughs> answer. You didn't even ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one thing that suffering brings about and also technology can bring about is, is the sense of loneliness and isolation. And so the question is, is it okay if I still feel lonely or feel lonely throughout all of this? Does it mean that I'm just not content enough in Christ? Let me say a couple of things and I'll hand it to Jordan. He's a pastor, so he'll be able to answer this in depth. Um, but just very briefly, in my view, it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you're not content in Christ because we all still have emotions. Our bodies are still broken. As George said earlier, we are embodied. And so we are subject to the ups and downs of human hurt and happiness and loneliness and struggles and suffering just like anyone else is, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, and some of this stuff is biochemical. Um, it requires, uh, it, it could require professional treatment, mental health treatment, and so forth. Um, and so there's that aspect of it too. Um, but there is always a contentment and a joy in Christ um, that I think we should be aware of. Doesn't mean we're always going to be happy, um, but we always have that eternal certainty. And I think there is a joy in that, uh, which I think is really important. And the only other thing I'll say, which I'm sure Jordan will expand on, is that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. There's no excuses for people not having Christian community. Um, a friend of Jordan and mine, Sam Albury, um, said to me very powerfully, uh, we were catching up once, that there's a lot of suffering, and we've talked about a lot of it today, that we can't do anything about. Um, loneliness is not in that category. Mm -hmm. We have no excuses as a family of God and a kingdom of God for people to be lonely. Uh, and so the Christian life is designed, as we have said repeatedly, for relationality up close and personal relationship with God and loving relationships with one another. And yes. so for people who are lonely, it's up to the family of God to reach out to them and they should be encouraged um, and invited to reach out to others. But that's why yes. living life solitarily is not a Christian way to live. We need to yeah. be plugged into a local church. We need to be plugged in to a community group or a cell group within that local church. We need to have Christian friends and non-Christian friends around us living in community. Human beings you know, just weren't designed 
um, to be solitary. But Jordan, right. as a pastor, I'm sure you have plenty to say on this. Well, I'll add a few brief thoughts because I'm aware of um, our, our time and us finishing up. Sometimes we all feel lonely, but we all need to remind ourselves of the core truth of the Christian faith is that just because you feel lonely, it doesn't mean you are alone. Jesus promises that he will ask the Father to send another advocate to help you. And it says these words about the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you forever. So even at times when you feel lonely, it does not mean that you're alone. And so it's really important and right that when you feel that, that you remind yourself of the objective truth and reality that Jesus promises that I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So that's, I think, an important first step. The next thing is that being content in Christ um, means not that we are happy with everything going on in our lives or in the world. Um, being content in Christ um, means that we're not constantly yearning for things that God doesn't promise or things that he has prohibited. But being content in Christ means taking hold of the present blessing and provision that he has given you in your circumstance. But there is right sense of longing for community and for relationship that God has built into us as his image bearers. And that is actually a longing that should cause us to pray what Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When we pray thy kingdom come, we're saying, God, we're looking forward to the time when you put things right. And what is the kingdom of God? It's clear throughout the scripture. It's God's people. It's a community thing in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And so when you feel lonely, remind yourself that you are not alone. And also that longing that you have have for deep connection and relationship is a good and a right longing that God has given you and the church is called to meet that need. That's great. Thanks very much, folks. All right, and that about wraps up our session. Thank you, uh, Max. Thank you, Jordan, for spending time with us. And thank you to everybody who's uh, submitted your questions.